Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Peter Gaiman, Professor of Old Testament and Biblical Languages at Shepherd Seminary. This podcast is dedicated to discussing issues related to scripture and theology. For more information, visit petergaiman.com. And hello again. It's good to be with you. Today our plan is to march through Deuteronomy 4, the latter part of Deuteronomy 24, And I'll be making reference to the New American Standard version as we go through this. Basically, the reason why I want to walk through Deuteronomy 4 is because I think there's some key prophetic material here that is often minimized. And I think we can draw this out and give a reason for why we believe there is a future for Israel and also give a reason for why prophets talk the way that they do In their prophecies like Hosea or even Jeremiah, they borrow language that is found here in the latter part of Deuteronomy 4. So as as we uh, kind of get into the context of Deuteronomy 4, one of the important things that we need to understand is that Deuteronomy is essentially a second giving of the covenant to Israel. They've transgressed after God gave them the covenant at Mount Sinai in Exodus. They transgressed in the book of Numbers, so God punished them. They wandered 40 years in the wilderness. A new generation has come about, and now they are having the covenant renewed with them on the plains of Moab before they go into the land of Canaan. Now, as part of that covenant renewal, God reminds them of their past and If you know your Old Testament up to this point, you know that Israel's past has not been pretty. In fact, it's been anything but so, marked by rebellion, disobedience, and everything else that you can imagine in between there. And so as the culmination of recounting Israel's history, Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 4 switches gears in verse uh, 25 and starts to talk about Israel's future in in light of what their past has been. Now, obviously, uh, the first couple verses preceding verse 25 and 21 through 24 talk about how Israel's to be warned because God did punish them because of their past sin. And this makes sense because, as verse 24 says, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And that's something that Israel's to keep in mind. And then Moses switches gears a little bit and he says in verse 25, when you become father, when you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land, now, let's stop there for a second because he's he's talking about a, a certain future. I mean, they're on the plains of Moab. God has already promised that they're going to go into the land. And so God's going to be faithful to his promise. And the people are going to be fathering children and they're going to have children's children. So two generations, that's not, that's not uh, foreign to our thinking. We would expect that. Now, some Bible translations or commentators could say that this is a conditional phrase, but most Bible translations uh, will translate it as an actual tempo- temporal clause when you become the father. So this is, a, this is a certain expectation. This is going to happen. They're going to become fathers of children and children's children, and they're going to remain in the land. Now, listen to this, though. There, there's no break in, in the clause, the clausing there, there's a continuation. So this is all part of that same phrase is that 
Moses is saying, this is what's going to happen. You're going to become father of children and children's children, and you're going to remain long in the land. And he just continues. It's just with a normal conjunction there. And you're going to act corruptly, and you're going to make an idol in the form of anything and do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord your God so as to provoke him to anger. Those are things you're going to do. That's that's a expectation on behalf of Moses, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, because this is this is supposed to be a high point in Israel's career in their existence. They are they're on the plains of Moab. They're about to enter into the land of promise. And yet Moses is already saying, listen, you're going to go in, but you're going to fall. Eventually you're going to fall. And this is part of the genius of the book of Deuteronomy is built into Deuteronomy. There is this expectation of failure because Israel doesn't have the spiritual heart capable of obedience. And that's one of the whole points of Deuteronomy. So uh, verse 26 goes on and Moses says, and I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land where you're going to, to over to the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but you will be utterly destroyed. Now, this is a part of that clause that that uh, came previously in verse 25. So it's it's just a normal continuation when this happens. I promise you, and the idea of calling heaven and earth to bear witness against you is is a common kind of lawsuit, so to speak, where Moses is saying, you know what, these are the witnesses, I'm calling heaven, I'm calling earth, they're going to be the witnesses against you, and they're, they're going to remember this uh, against you when this happens. And that's also, by the way, when you get to the prophets, you have... Isaiah, for example, in Isaiah 1 saying, I call heaven and earth to, to bear witness against you because you have fallen and this is why judgment is coming. So you see the prophets bringing up the same kind of heavenly witness language uh, in light of what Deuteronomy has already promised. So notice this, though. Verse 27 continues on that same that same pattern, picking up with that same temporal in verse 25 following that. And so it's, again, more sequence. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. In other words, you will go into exile. Now, that's not going to be very encouraging to Israel, right? Because they're about to enter Canaan, but yet God, through Moses, is already telling them that they're going to go into exile. Now that's, that's pretty significant. And in verse 28, there you will serve gods in the, these foreign land, lands, the work of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. These, these gods, uh, don't, don't operate the way that the, that the true, the one true God operates and he, who really functions. But yet Israel is going to be in exile and they're going to serve them. Now here's the interesting place where I think some English translations don't really get this, uh, properly in verse 29. And this is again the NASB that I'm reading, but I'm going to read some of the other verses for you too. It says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Okay, that, that makes sense. And I don't think that's the worst translation you could possibly have. 
But what I want to key in on especially is that last phrase, if you search for him with all your heart, with all, all your soul. Now, if I bring up some other comparative translations here, you have the ESV, which says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him. By the way, I think the ESV and the NASB are giving the proper sense there in the first part where this is something that's going to happen in the future after they've been in exile, they will seek the Lord, their God. That I think that is, the Lord is giving them some encouragement in the midst of what would be a very discouraging statement, saying, by the way, you're going to fail, you're going to be in, in exile, but then you will turn to the Lord, your God. Then you will remember to serve him. And But then that qualifying phrase there, which I read the ESV and the NASB, here's a the Holman Christian s- standard says, uh, but from there you will search for the Lord your God and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's a little bit different. The Holman Christian standards kind of on its own translating it as a certainty when you seek him with all your heart, with all your soul. And I like that translation a little bit better, but I actually think there's a better way to to think about this but that that's an acceptable all the other translations um tend to translate it as a conditional if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul that's the general sense and i niv gives that kjv gives that kind of reading that that's the normal thought process but the interesting thing is that if you look at it in hebrew the and here's the reason why it's it could be translated different ways is that it's, it's a translation of a particle in Hebrew known as key. That's, I mean, in English we have K-E-Y, but in Hebrew it's more of a K-I kind of sound. And that's, that's a particle or a conjunction in Hebrew that can be translated as if or when, but it can also be translated for or because. And so it does a lot of heavy duty lifting in Hebrew. Now the question is, what, what sense does it have here? And a lot of translations give the conditional clause, but as we've already seen marching through this passage, this there's not a conditional sense here as much as there is a temporal sense that's all linked with the preceding, the preceding statements all linked back up to verse 25 talking about this is going to happen when you become the father of children and have remained long in the land. What's going to happen is you're going to act corruptly and then the Lord's going to do this and then this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And then you are going to do this. You're going to turn and seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him. Now in Hebrew, the, the Masoretes who would copy these texts by hand note that the thought should end in the middle of the verse. Uh, so w- what that means is that they see kind of, for lack of a better term, there's a period, uh, before the if, although in our English translations, we don't translate it that way. Now, if you're, if you do know Hebrew, what, what I'm talking about is the Athnach there in the Masoretic accent is being, is being given there. And so what that normally indicates is that another thought is beginning a, parenthetical thought if it's set apart by a key clause. So normally when you examine that kind of construction, what you see is that this should be an explanatory phrase. So in other words, what it would likely be translated as would be for you will seek him 
with all your heart and with all your soul. So that gives a little bit different of a sense then, because what then this passage is talking about is it's promising, listen, you're going to seek the Lord and you're going to find him. And the reason that is going to come about is because you're going to be completely his. You're going to be doing it with your whole heart. The reason this is going to work is because your whole heart and your whole soul are now his. That is why this is going to work, Israel. And so that it's not a it's not a conditional in the sense like, listen, you'll find God if you do it with your whole heart. Although, granted, that would be true. Uh, theologically speaking and, and even match with the sense of the passage. But just grammatically, I think what what's being stressed here is the fact that you can be assured that you're going to find God because when this happens, you're going to be completely pursuing him with your whole heart. And that makes sense. And I think that this is also uh, borrowed by the prophets, the same kind of phrase phraseology is borrowed by the prophets, just the importance of the heart and how Israel will pursue him with with their whole heart. They're going to turn to him. Now, the next verse continues that same phrase or that same thought and says, when you are in distress and all these things come upon you, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. And then it says, for the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you or destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. In other words, you can be assured, Israel, that this is work, this will work because God is compassionate and he will be faithful to you as he promised. Like God, God is not a God who backs away from his promises, which is, oh man, that's, that's really encouraging that he is faithful even when we, uh, do not, do not give God, our faithfulness. And here we have in verse 30, a very important phrase that, that really kind of keys and ties this passage into the prophets. And that's the latter days. So when you are in distress and all these things come upon you, which again gives evidence that this isn't a kind of conditional idea, but this is going to happen to you, Israel. Uh, you know, spoiler alert. Although you're about to enter into the land of Canaan and you're going to have this big conquest and take over much of the land, it's going to go bad for you because you don't have the heart to follow God completely. And that's just so discouraging uh, to them. So in verse 30, though, it says, but in the latter days, you will return. In the latter days. Now, we don't have time to trace this theme all over the place. It would be good to trace trace that uh, in some episode, but I just want to draw your attention to just one passage, and that's in Hosea. Hosea 3. Uh, the context of Hosea is that God is basically, even through, even through the prophet Hosea and his, his wife Gomer, his unfaithful wife Gomer, he's drawing that parallel between how Gomer is representing God to the people of Israel and Gomer represents the people of Israel, her unfaithfulness, her adultery, how Israel pursues other gods. Uh, Gomer is representing that. Now, in chapter 3, God explains the parallel that's going on between Gomer's marriage and God and Israel. And then he he explains this parallel in verse 4 and 5. He says in verse 4, 
For the sons of Israel, this is why I'm doing this, Hosea. This is why I'm setting up this illustration. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, and without ephod or household idols. And again, I'm reading from the NASB here. And the idea behind verse 4 is that Israel is going to be in exile. They're going to be in timeout. They're not going to have a king or a prince. They're not going to have their sacrifices because they're in timeout because of their disobedience. They are in exile. But verse five, mercy in the midst of judgment. Verse five, afterward, after this happens, the sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord, their God and David, their king. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. Now, the NASB translates that differently, the last days, but it should be translated latter days. And there you see that connection made with Deuteronomy 4 because you see that whole concept of yes, there's going to become there's going to come disobedience to Israel and that disobedience is going to Result in their exile. There's going to be punishment for their sin, but in the latter days, there will be this repentance and restoration where Israel repents and seeks the Lord completely. And they come trembling to the Lord, Hosea says. So Hosea is picking up on Deuteronomy. And this is what the prophets do all over. They're so reliant upon Deuteronomy. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to just walk us through this because it's, it's so important to see how Deuteronomy forms the basis of how prophets uh, proclaim their message. A lot of times they, they don't just give a brand new message. They're building on things that have already been revealed through the prophet Moses, through, through Abraham, all these, all these concepts. And so I just wanted to point that out, encourage you guys with the fact that scripture is clear. Uh, right away that there is going to be punishment on Israel for disobedience. And after that, there's going to come a day, which we haven't seen yet, where Israel does repent and turn to God with their whole hearts. And we can be assured that God will respond to them because this is going to be something different we haven't seen, where the whole nation responds to God with with that new heart, that that desire to to seek him. And because God is compassionate, he will restore them. And what a what a blessed time that will be. So thank you for listening. If you have any comments or questions, please email them to me at peter at petergaiman.com. If you want to find more information on the podcast or about me, please visit petergaiman.com. For more information on Shepherd's Seminary, visit shepherds.edu. Until next time, we'll see you later.